0: 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So, the reason why I'm so excited to be in this passage tonight is because in the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul's just sort of laid out why the church at Corinth is so dysfunctional. (laughs) They're doing a lot of things wrong. And it's a shame because let's remember that the city of Corinth was a port city. It, it was a strategic center. People from all over the world would pass in and out and through Corinth. So if there was a strong church there, if there was a strong witness there, then Christ, Christ could be impacted and, and influenced all over the known world at that time. That's how strategic Corinth was. And yet we've learned in the first three chapters that the church at Corinth had so many problems. They were such a gifted church. There was, there was no church in the New Testament more gifted than the church at Corinth. But there was also no church in the New Testament that was more carnal, that was more, more worldly, that had more problems. They were fighting with each other. There was so much disunity. There was so much pride in the church. And so Paul has basically laid all that out in the first three chapters and says, Wake up. And then in chapter 4 he says, basically... If you guys start to follow this model, this model laid out in chapter four, if you follow this, you will change the dynamic of your church. You will change the trajectory of your church. Your, Your church will never be the same if you all in the church at Corinth begin to just sort of surrender, if you will, to what God is showing us in his word for his followers. So with that, let's look tonight. Paul says to them, one should think about us in this way. He says, basically, I I want you to take into account the reality of the situation. Don't don't try to make something up. Take into account the reality of the situation. In fact, that's what the word think means. It's the Greek word logizomai. And the reason I want to point that out is logizomai is an interesting Greek word. Uh, for the Greeks, if, if they use that word, they would have to use it in the sense of the reality of something. In other words, if I think I have $25 in my wallet, then... Logizomai, I have $25. I can think I have 100 But that's not the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is I have whatever I have. You see, that's how they would use that word. And so Paul is trying to bring them back to reality. Somewhere along the way, they got messed up in looking at things so warped. They weren't looking at things from a biblical or or from God's perspective, and they needed to be brought back to reality. And the first thing that Paul says will start to revolutionize the dynamic of this church is that they realize that they are servants of Christ. Now, Paul uses the word servant a lot in his letters, and he wrote a lot of the New Testament. But very interestingly, this is the only time Paul uses this specific word for servant. In all of his writings, it's the Greek word that means under rower. That's literally what it means. If you ever saw those movies, those Roman warships. Uh, in fact, Ben Hur would be a good example of that. And they literally had those men who would row underneath. They were the under. They were at the lowest part of the ship, and they literally were the ones that basically. Empowered the ship and steered the ship to go, you know, or to give it the power that it needed to get where it needed to go, but they weren't totally unnoticed. They—they they were literally galley slaves, is what they were. Paul says, "That's what I am. That's what you are. You're a servant. You and I are under rowers." And I think one of the things that Paul wanted to bring out by using that specific term is that many times those of us who are truly serving Christ go unnoticed. If we're looking to be noticed, if we're looking for men's applause, if we're looking for, you know, all the, all the uh, back slaps and, you know, all the high fives and all that, he says, that's what's wrong in Corinth. What's wrong in Corinth is the church is filled with people who want to be noticed. Hey, notice me what I'm doing over here. When Paul says many times, God just wants us to be servants who are literally under rowers and providing a great service, but doing it totally unnoticed instead of drawing attention to ourselves. The next word that he uses that he says will also revolutionize the church is when people in the church begin to look at themselves as stewards. Stewards, Paul says, of the mysteries of God. The word steward was a very important word in Paul's day. And everybody who would hear this word in Corinth would know exactly what Paul was saying and would know how important it was to be a steward. A steward was basically someone in that culture that literally managed everything in someone's household. I mean, that was great responsibility. They would manage the people in the household, the resources in the household. Everything in that household was given to them to manage. Yet, yet, they owned nothing. They managed everything, but they owned nothing. Paul says that's what God wants to see in our lives. Do we look... At what we are and who we are and what we have been given by God at this point in our lives, are we looking at ourselves as managers or as owners? And too many people in Corinth, part of what was causing problems in the church was they were looking that the things that God had blessed them with and given them was theirs. And God says, no, when I give you things, when I bless you with things, I'm primarily looking To you, to be a conduit, a channel of blessing to others. And instead of holding on to things tightly and not willing to share and and give and and all that, Paul says, no, God wants us to be stewards. Remember, we learned last week that everything is ours anyway if we know Christ. Christ is the ruler of the universe. Therefore, everything in the universe is really at our disposal. Because we're Christ's and Christ is God's and God has everything. And instead of trying to grab things along the way, Paul says, realize that through Christ it's already yours anyway, and God just wants you to be a good manager of it, a good steward. Are we being good stewards of what God has given to us? And then he says in verse 2, Now what is sought in stewards, literally demanded in stewards by God, is that one be found faithful. That word could also be translated trustworthy or reliable. And we even talked about this a couple weeks ago through our series in Romans on Sunday. How even this principle translates outside the spiritual realm. It translates to anything and everything. If you own a business, if you have a company, if, if whatever, if you don't have co-workers or people who work for you that are reliable, you... Go nuts. You get frustrated. There's nothing like trying to accomplish something with a group of people and you're the only one who's faithful, reliable. We all know how important it is if we're part of anything and we're working with others, that unless they're trustworthy and reliable, it just totally blows things up. And the people in Corinth weren't faithful. I don't usually share too much from others, but I did come across this and I wanted to share it with you because I just, I just really, it resonated with me. Uh, It's a man by the name of Keith Krell who wrote on what faithfulness really is. He says faithfulness means excellence. Faithfulness doesn't necessarily mean doing more, but doing things better. Doing our best in every situation is one proof of faithfulness. It includes our financial stewardship, family responsibilities, job assignments, and ministry opportunities. God is primarily concerned with how we handle the unnoticed, everyday needs that don't make the newspaper headlines on earth. In God's eyes, little things truly are big. Not only does faithfulness mean excellence, but he goes on to say faithfulness also means integrity. Faithfulness means that we are above moral reproach at all times. Remember, God still sees us even when no one else is watching. A store owner interviewed a young man for a job and he asked, If I hire you to work in my store, will you be honest and truthful? The young man answered, I'll be honest and truthful whether you hire me or not. Faithfulness also means dependability. A lazy worker retired and a dinner was given in his honor to present him an award. The Toastmaster said, as a token of our appreciation, we would like to give you this watch to serve as a constant reminder of your faithfulness to our company. It has to be wound frequently. It's always a little late, and it quits working every day at quarter to four. (laughs) Faithful people can be relied upon to fulfill their commitments. When a job is delegated to a faithful worker, the boss never has to worry if the job will get done. And then finally, he says, faithfulness means perseverance. Too many people go up like rockets and come down like rocks. Lots of people start running the race of life with a flash, but few finish well. Others might get sidetracked or drop out of the race, but we must keep running with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Faithfulness means that we persevere to the finish line. One more thing he adds in conclusion. It is important for us to recognize that God is concerned with faithfulness, not fruitfulness. Sometimes we are so preoccupied with counting our spiritual apples and oranges that we forget to spend time watering our roots by just serving Jesus. Try forget about being fruitful for a while. It will happen naturally if you let His living water soak into the depths of your soul. Faithful. God demands that his stewards be faithful. The people in Corinth were not being faithful. They were not looking at themselves as stewards who just were simply managing God's resources. Rather, they were looking at themselves as owning it and keeping it for themselves. And they certainly weren't looking at themselves as under-rowers. No, they were looking at themselves as always needing to be noticed. Something else Paul goes on to talk about. He says, so for me, verse 3, it is a minor matter that I am judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. What Paul is saying here is in Corinth, the problem was all these people in Corinth within the church were always seeking to be validated. We see that today, whether it's in church or not. Everybody wants validated. You got to you got to validate me right you got to be on. you got to see it my way and the problem with that is is if god is leading us to do something who cares whether we're validated or not in fact there were many times in the bible where god said this is what i want you to do and they were the only people that were doing that everybody else was like no i mean think of noah if Noah needed validation noah would have never finished the ark And yet today we live in such an insecure culture, even within Christianity. Christians are so insecure in what they believe and why they believe it and who they really are. And the fact that they're not letting God lead them. Because if God was leading them, then they wouldn't care what anyone else thought. The problem today is we care too much about what others think. Again, a little bit of a balance there, I know. But seeking validation for everything we do is not the way to live the Christian life. I mean, notice what Paul says. He says, it's a minor matter that I'm judged by you. That's not what I put my stock in, what you think of me. Then he says, I don't even put much stock in what a human court would think. In fact, I don't even judge myself. Because Paul goes on to say, look, I'm not aware Of anything against myself. He said, I'm not conscious that there's something that I need to deal with right now in my life. But he said, I'm not acquitted because of this. And what, why Paul is saying that is because he's saying, guys, as human beings, even Christians, we have to realize we are limited in our ability to truly judge. Because no matter how spiritual and all of that we are, as human beings on this side of heaven, we are limited to know the real deal. We think we know. But we really don't. And so Paul's even saying, you know, I can say, yeah, I'm okay. But Paul says, no, I need to live for the audience of one. The only thing Paul cared about was what did Jesus Christ think? Not what everyone else thought, including himself. In fact, he goes on to say, the one who judges me is the Lord. The one who sifts through all the evidence and makes a final determination has got to be the Lord. That's why he goes on to tell them in verse 5. So then do not judge anything before the time. Now again, remember, in balancing Scripture with Scripture, he's not telling us as Christians that we should never judge. Because we know that's not true. But what he is saying in this passage is be careful not to go to the degree that you are trying to define a situation or define a human being or make some final determination about someone or something. Because he says... We can't do that because we don't know everything like God does. That's why he says, wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and even reveal the motives of hearts. Then each one will receive recognition from God. Paul is saying God's approval is always better than man's applause the church at Corinth the reason why that church was sideways is they were it was a church filled with people who were looking for applause from other people they were seeking validation from others rather than primarily being concerned about what jesus thought and we still live in that kind of culture even within the professing church a lot of christians and a lot of churches just do things because well They said it was okay, right? So it must be okay. What about what the Lord thinks? Isn't that the most important test for any of us? And then he wants to talk to him about humility. Verse 6. He says, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos because of you, brothers and sisters, so that through us you may learn not to go beyond what is written. I love that. Because Paul is teaching there that Scripture provides us boundaries for living. And he says, you've gone beyond the boundaries that Scripture is giving, especially in the area of pride. Because he goes on to say, so that none of you will be puffed up. Literally in the Greek, it means to be inflated or to swell. The church at Corinth was filled with a bunch of people who had swelled heads and had an inflated view of themselves. And Paul says, you didn't learn that from the scriptures. In fact, he says, you're even in favor of one against the other. And then he gives them three really probing, sobering questions. He says in verse 7, who concedes you any superiority? In other words, what he's saying to the Corinthians is, if there are distinctions between you all in the church, who created you that way? Did you do it, or did God make those distinctions between you? And then he says, what did you have that you did not receive? Did you get it on your own, or is this just something that God gave you? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you do not? In other words, Paul's saying, if you really look at your life, Christians, in Corinth the way you should... The result won't be boasting, it'll be gratefulness and thanksgiving because everything that you have, everything you are, came from God. You have nothing to boast about. Verse 8. He's going on to talk a little bit more about pride, but now he starts also talking about the willingness to suffer and sacrifice. The Corinthians had such an air about them that we're going to see that they've arrived. They were celebrities. They were glamming it up. And Paul says, "Uh, let me show you another perspective on the Christian life. And can I just say that this passage we're about to go into, there's probably no more powerful passage to teach against the theology of what is labeled the health and wealth gospel that is taught out there on television and books and in churches all over there's probably not a passage that more powerfully teaches against that than this passage does look at what paul says beginning in verse eight he says already you are satisfied the word means totally filled up it would have been a term that the greeks used when they got done from eating where we've said i can't eat another bite paul said that's you right you're filled Already you are rich. The word means affluent. You have become kings without us. In other words, Paul is saying, you've, you think you've arrived, right? And then I love the sarcasm. You ever think sarcasm isn't spiritual? Well, Paul used sarcasm a lot. Notice what Paul said. I wish you had become kings so that we could reign with you. I wish you had arrived, then maybe we would have arrived too, but that's not the reality of the situation, Paul said. Here's the reality. For I think God, verse 9, has exhibited us apostles last of all. First of all, I want to stop at the word exhibited. It means put on display. God literally has put the apostles, Paul says, on display. The words last of all... Interesting words. They literally mean to be continually marginalized. In other words, Paul's saying the reality of the situation is, you guys in Corinth, you're the celebrities. You're popular everybody must like you and and paul scratching his head going wait a minute either you're not living the christian life the way you should or we're not living the christian life the way we should because we're totally unpopular nobody likes us we're we're the ones that nobody gets invited to the party we are marginalized but somehow everybody's embracing you one of us has this christian life wrong right and it's just like today christians or ministries or whatever who are so popular in the world you got to sort of scratch your head and go now wait a minute jesus wasn't popular he in fact he offended people people stopped following him because he was so offensive and he was so offensive they murdered him and threw him on the cross So how is it that we think we can follow Jesus and somehow we can be right in the middle of our culture and be popular and be okay with the culture? Paul said the apostles weren't that way. We never were the popular ones. We were the ones that were pushed out because nobody wanted to hear what we had to say. It was too challenging. It was too convicting. Notice he goes on to say, no... We're not only last of all, we are men condemned to die because we have become a spectacle to the world. The word spectacle there is the Greek word theatron, where we get our word theater from. Paul said, it's like we're on stage every day, put on display, but not because, you know, we're being envied and praised by the people of the world. Not at all, Paul said. He said, both to angels and to people. Verse 10, we are fools for Christ. The Greek word there for fool is where we get our word moron from. Paul said, I'm a moron for Christ. People think I'm crazy because of the way I live. Crazy. That's what Paul said. But notice he says, oh, but you in Corinth, you're wise in Christ. Everybody thinks you're smart. We're weak, but you're strong. You're distinguished. Well, guess what? We are dishonored. To the present hour, we're hungry, thirsty, poorly clothed, brutally treated, without a roof over our heads. We do hard work, toiling with our own hands. When we're verbally abused, we respond with a blessing. When persecuted, we endure. When people lie about us, we answer in a friendly manner. We are the world's garbage, is what Paul says. Dirt and scum. Garbage. See, Paul says, from our perspective as apostles, we are being sacrificed and we're willing to suffer. Somehow in Corinth, you think that following Christ means glamming it up and being a celebrity and having the praise of all the people and everybody loves you. And maybe that's why the dynamic at the church at Corinth isn't what it's supposed to be. Then Paul goes on to say in verse 14, I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to correct you as my dear children. The word correct means to warn of grave danger. It's like a father or a a mother who sees danger coming for their children will do everything possible to try to prevent their children from learning the lesson the hard way. That's where Paul's coming from. For though you may have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers because I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul founded the church at Corinth. Many of those in the church at Corinth became Christians through Paul's witness. God used Paul to bring the gospel to them. So he was their spiritual father. There was a connection there. And that's why he goes on in verse 16 to say, I encourage you then... Be imitators of me. Remember the word encourage also means to come alongside of someone and put your arm around them to give them strength to do something. That's what encouragement is. And Paul is saying, look, I'm not here to try to beat you up. I'm really trying to come alongside and saying, this is the way of God. This is the way the church should be. This is the way God designed it. Come on, let's start living that way. And he says, be imitators. The word imitator in the Greek is where we get our word mimic or mime from. It's the Greek word "mimetes." Now, a couple things that Paul is saying here that I think is important for the dynamic of the church. And I want to stop here for a moment because I want to commend you all at the Oasis. The quality of people that God is bringing to the Oasis is evident I believe, for two reasons. And they're found here in this verse. And I'm not saying we should be satisfied. We should always keep striving to do better. But I want you to hear from your pastor how much of an encouragement you are to me and and how I think you get it. The Corinthians didn't for these two reasons. One, Paul is saying in that terminology that the, the proper dynamic in a church should be that people are teachable. That people are willing to follow. Again, we've got to make sure we're following the right person for the right reason. And realizing that, yes, Jesus Christ is our ultimate example, but that God does use the right people in the right way at many times in our life, other Christians, to be a very positive influence. And unless we're open to that, we're going to miss out. All of us, at each season or stage of our life, should have some mentor in our life. Somebody who's our example. Someone that we are able to, to physically look at as an example of a fleshed out Christian life. And Paul says, it starts with being teachable. Well, folks, I think you're the most teachable group in the whole area. I mean, you love the, the word you put up with me on Tuesday night and Sunday. I mean, you, you're so teachable. You're so hungry. You, you want to know and you want to know more and you have that. You have it. Just keep going. But there's another side to this as well. And that is Paul, I think, is also saying here that we as Christians also need to strive to be an example that's worthy to follow. Because that's ultimately what God is looking for in stewards and servants. That we live in such a way that we can look at somebody else, like Paul, and say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. The church is desperate today for good examples. I mean, desperate. People in churches all over saying, who do I follow? Who who is around that can be a mentor to me? And again, I want to commend, we're not there yet. But I want to give two specific examples in the Oasis ministry that just thrills my heart. The men's ministry. The men are just getting started with a mentoring program of mentoring either younger men or men who are young in the faith. And I'm thrilled by that. I just think that's, that's the way God meant it to be, to be done. And then our women's ministry. I love the fact that in the, at the moms group the other week, it wasn't just moms of, as we usually think of a moms group, of the, the, the moms who have the young children. There were moms who showed up there whose children have left home. And they are there to try to, I believe, mentor and be an example and pour in to those younger moms. That's what Paul's saying here. That was one of the dynamics missing at the church at Corinth. You need both. You need people who are always teachable and you need people who are willing to live in such a way to teach others and in a sense mentor and be an example worthy to follow. And that's getting started here. We just need to keep that fire going. We're almost done. Wow, we're almost done. Good. I actually might quit early tonight. No, I I shouldn't have said that. Verse 17, for this reason, I've sent Timothy to you, who is my dear and faithful son in the Lord. He will remind you of my ways in Christ. The Christian life is a way of life. It's not living by a set of rules and regulations. It is a way of life built upon a relationship with Jesus Christ. And notice Paul says, I teach them everywhere in every church. Now, the last thing Paul's going to talk about, so before we get to that, let me review the things that Paul has touched on tonight in 1 Corinthians 4 that will change the dynamic of any church, including the church at Corinth and the church here, whatever church you're a part of. It's having a church filled with people who recognize themselves as servants, under rowers, don't need to be noticed, always. Second, stewards, manage have the privilege of managing God's resources, but yet owning nothing. Third, faithful and what it means to be faithful, trustworthy, reliable. The fourth thing, don't need to always seek men's validation. We primarily live for the audience of one and seek the Lord's approval rather than men's applause. The fifth thing, humility. Got to have humility in the local Church. The sixth thing, willing to suffer, as Paul talked about in that passage, and willing to sacrifice. The next was the idea of being teachable and then being a mentor. And the final thing, power. Look at what Paul says beginning in verse. 18. Again, he goes back to the arrogance, but that's sort of the root of it all. Some have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord is willing. And I will find out not only the talk of these arrogant people, but also their power for the kingdom of God. This is one of the most important verses. I think in the whole new Testament, 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is is demonstrated not in idle talk, but with power. Paul says, there's a key ingredient missing in this church at Corinth that you, you think you've arrived. You think you've got it all together. He said, but there's no real spiritual power evident at the church at Corinth. There's no true inner spiritual strength in the lives of the believers at the church at Corinth. And Paul is saying, power, that's what the kingdom of God is about. If God is working, there will be spiritual power evident. Anyone can talk the talk, Paul said. And there's a lot of talk going on at the church at Corinth. But Paul says that it's proven in the lives of those believers in Corinth and what the church is doing. Is there real spiritual power there? Going back to my message Sunday. Is what's happening in our church and in our life, is it explainable in human terms? If we're honestly take a step back, can we explain what's going on in our life and in the life of our church in human terms? You know, we did this, so because we did this, this was the result. Or is what's going on in my life and the life of our church only explainable in terms of God? The only explanation for it is God's at work. Because there's no way we as humans could have ever done that. And this word power in verse 20 means the strength that resides within. That's why we need to devote ourselves as Christians to spiritual growth because God wants to make us strong within to be able to stand up to the pressure coming from outside. Just like in the days at Corinth. Yes, Corinth was a very strategic city, a port city, but because of What kind of city it was, it was also a city filled with every kind of vice imaginable to man. And the pressure was always there for Christians to cave in and lose their testimony. And they were doing it at the church at Corinth. But Paul says, God can supply you and me and your church with such internal strength that you can stand up to the pressures That are always there. And then basically Paul ends this passage with this. He says, guess what? Your response to this letter will determine my response. (laughs) I can remember my dad saying that. (laughs) Because notice, Paul said, what do you want? It'll be up to you. Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? And Paul was prepared to come into that church at Corinth and basically make heads roll. Or, he says, with love and a spirit of gentleness. Am I going to be your spiritual father that comes to you and has to discipline you pretty hard because you've not responded well to this? Or, is there some sense of repentance and some acknowledgement that Maybe we don't have it all together and maybe we do need to start listening to what God is saying through the Apostle Paul. And Paul says, if that be the case, then I won't come to you with the rod. I'll come to you in the spirit of gentleness. There will be still things that we need to work on, but it's going to come from a different place. The Corinthians, he says, the choice is up to you. The choice is up to you. Folks, I just want to say, I'm asked this a lot by people who don't aren't part of our church here at the Oasis. How are things going, Jeff, at the Oasis? And my wife can back me up because she's usually around when that question is asked. I tell us that I'm having the time of my life. And I say that because of you all. You all make being the pastor of this church, of you the flock of God. It is such a joy because unlike the church at Corinth, we have people at this church who are willing to be the under rowers to do what needs to be done but not have to always be noticed. We have people who are managers. They, they're not living thinking, oh, it's mine. I don't want to share it with anybody. We have people who who are faithful, reliable, trustworthy. We have people who are not looking for men's validation, but they're simply living for the approval of Christ. We have people who are humble, willing to suffer for the Lord, willing to sacrifice. We have people who are willing to be taught and also willing to teach others, to be an example, to live in such a way That they are worthy to follow. And we have power here too. Now. I realize. We can't be satisfied. But we're on the right track. We've just got to keep. Moving. Forward. And I'm excited. So excited about the future. Of this church. And what God has planned for us. And. It's not only due to the fact that, yeah, we've got an awesome God. But God has drawn quality people like yourself here. And that's what's going to make it go. We just got to keep following the Lord. I'm excited. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for a man like Paul that cared enough about a church. That cared enough about the spiritual lives of these people that he was willing to say the things that needed to be said. They weren't popular. They weren't the things that they wanted to hear, but they were the things that they needed to hear. And sometimes, God, in our Christian life, we need a voice from You, whether it's Your own voice, the Spirit of God, Your Word, or somebody else coming into our life who speaks into our life and says things to us that are hard to hear, but things that we absolutely need to hear. God, I thank You for someone like Paul. I thank You for the Pauls in my life. And yet, Lord, here was a church And we don't know how they responded to this totally. We don't know exactly how they responded. So Lord, it's just sort of left to us at this time in history to say these same principles are just as relevant and apply to us today as they did to the Corinthians. What are we going to do with what Paul has said tonight? Lord, again, I just want to thank you for the people that you have brought here, for their heart, for their willingness to be the people of God that you call us to be, so that we can truly be a unified, powerful group of people that can be used by you to make an impact in this world for you. But, God, help us never to be satisfied. Who we are or where we're at. And help us not to even totally be satisfied with what we think. Because as Paul said, we're not, we don't know everything. We don't know the hidden things. We don't know the motives. Only God knows. So we just need to wait for God to sift it all out. And give rewards where rewards are due. But what we can do. What we should do is just seek to be faithful, seek to be faithful to you and help us, Lord, as we read tonight, not to even focus on the fruitfulness. The fruitfulness will come if we're just faithful. Help us just to be faithful to you, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Hey, before I let you go tonight again, I just want to remind you, especially for those of you that maybe came in late. That the first sort of member of our church family passed away this morning, Nancy Henry. She knew the Lord. She went to be with the Lord. We don't know the uh, services yet, the times, the place, or anything like that yet. They're going to decide that tomorrow. As soon as we know anything, we'll let you know Sunday. And the reason we know it's going to be after Sunday is because they have many, many family members who are going to be flying in. And so they're going to sort of push it out for at least a week so that they can allow all their family members to come in from all across the country. Uh, But just keep the Henry family in your prayers, uh, especially Bob, her husband, and their children and grandchildren and whatnot. Uh, Obviously, it's tough. Even though you know they went to heaven, it's tough when you lose somebody. There's a void there. We all know that if we've lost someone. So just keep the Henry family in your prayers. And again, I thank you for all of you who are pitching in to help take them meals and whatever. They so, so appreciate that. Lisa and I had a chance to go over and spend some time with them before Bible study tonight. And, and I just want to extend their thanks to you for just showing such love to them. Thank you for being the people you are. Have a great week and we'll see you on Sunday. God bless you.